I wonder how many of us remember the last time we got a second chance. Maybe we made a mistake on the job. Something the boss could have fired us for but didn't. How did it feel to get a second chance? Maybe it was a relationship, a spouse, a parent, a child. And we did something that damaged that relationship and yet that person, though it could have meant the end of the whole relationship, chose to be gracious and extend forgiveness. Do you remember what it was like to get that second chance? You know, I meet a lot of people who think that when it comes to God, they've run out of second chances. Maybe second chances were a long time ago. They've had third, fourth, fifth, sixth, 100th. <laughs> the good news is that when we feel like that, God keeps coming back with more chances. When we feel like there's no way back, all of our opportunities are exhausted. The thing we find in Scripture is that God keeps showing up and continues to extend those second chances. When we feel there's no way He could forgive us this time, there's no way He could deal with the condemnation we feel this time. That's when He shows mercy and offers acceptance. So if you know what that feels like, <laughs> if you know what that feels like, the good news is that you're not the first. People have been wrestling with this number of chances we get and how we relate to God for a long time. And Jonah 3 is written for people just like us. Because this chapter in Scripture paints a picture of a God who does not resist giving second chances. He revels in it. And the reason He revels in it, we're going to find out, is because second chances give Him an opportunity to display His... to manifest the magnitude of His compassion. All the way through this text is this running idea that God gives second chances so that He can reveal His infinite compassion to us. That's what Jonah has to wrestle with because he doesn't always like the fact that God wants to be compassionate to other people. It's what we need to discover and it's that place where we find relief and rest and grace. Our second chances reveal, reveal God's infinite, infinite compassion. Now, the whole book of Jonah is structured to amplify and magnify Jonah's second chance. If you read the beginning of chapter 3, we just read a moment ago, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And if you've read that and you remember what was said at the beginning of chapter 1, then you know there's something similar going on because the whole book starts out with a similar phrase. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. The word of the Lord, chapter 3, came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim the message I tell to you. 
It goes on, Jonah, though, in the first instance, sets out to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of God. He went on the run, didn't he? He was gone. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to Nineveh. Bad people. Those are my enemies. They're scoundrels. They're terrorists. I'm not interested in that. I'm going the other way. Beginning of chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes a second time because Jonah gets a second chance. So Jonah sets out and goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So the first half of the book is Jonah on the run. God's word comes to him. He has no interest whatsoever in God's call on his life. And so he sets out in the opposite direction. He's going to go five times further away. He's running away from the presence of the Lord as fast as he can go. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 tell that story. It doesn't go well for them. He almost dies. And he only lives because God is gracious. Chapter 3 begins the second part of the story. The story of Jonah's second chance. Because the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this time, instead of going the other way, he went where God was calling him to go. So the whole structure of the book, chapters 1 and 2, first chance. Chapters 3 and 4, second chance. The whole structure of the book is designed to illustrate to us that the God of Jonah, the God of Israel, the God who was on mission to the Ninevites, even though they are wicked people, is a God of second chances. He's a God who gives grace upon grace upon grace. And the thing to remember there is that second chances come to people who didn't take advantage of first chances, right? I mean, Jonah is not deserving of a second opportunity to honor God, is he? I mean, this guy, God called him. He comes up and he's like, hey, God, I mean, he didn't even respond. He just ran. <laughs> he didn't even argue with God that first time. He just took off to Tarshish, which is in Spain. So imagine, you know, you are so opposed to what God wants you to do in your life that you don't even, re you don't even talk to him about it. You just go 2,500 miles in the other direction. <laughs> I'm out of here. I got no interest in this. See you around? Maybe, maybe not. The whole thing, Jonah is undeserving. He, God calls him. He is resisting that. He doesn't deserve another shot. That's what the whole getting thrown overboard in the storm and swallowed by the fish is about. Jonah needs to learn the lesson. He doesn't deserve anything from God. God owes him nothing. But God is gracious, and God gives second chances. So that fish vomited Jonah up on the shore. And God says, I'm going to speak to you, Jonah, for a second time. You don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. So helpful to me to remember that. When God comes back to me for a fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, one thousandth time, it's not because I deserve it. Never, never, never because I deserve another shot. It's only because He is marked. His life, His character, His being is marked by this massive, infinite, overwhelming compassion. Because that's what you need with people who resist you, isn't it? Compassion. That's what you need when people run away or when people hurt or when people offend or when they sin. You can either get hurt and angry and vindictive or you can become compassionate. 
Thanks be to God that God is compassionate. The whole narrative of Jonah, God's call, the storm, the fish, and God's second word are all about reassuring us that God is a God of compassion. Because those second chances, we don't deserve them. If this had been a a pagan god, you know, like the Greek or the Romans or maybe some of the Assyrian gods, no telling what would happen. You read about the gods of the nations in the ancient world, you know that they are some capricious, mean folks. They don't give second chances. You mess with them, they strike you down with lightning or something. (laughs) There's one thing we can take away from what we read here in Jonah, is that the God of Israel, the God of Jonah, the God who comes to him a second time, is not that kind of God. He's not the kind of God who wakes up and says, "Hey, I'm not sure I like you today, I think I'll thump you off the edge of the world. Huh, you disappointed me, I'm going to strike you down. He's not just waiting for us to mess up so that he can judge us and knock us around like some abusive father or something. God's not like that. He's not waiting for us to mess up so that he can hurt us. He, if you hear, friends, if you hear one thing, hear that. God is not waiting for you to mess up so that he can get you back. He's waiting when you mess up with compassion like you've never imagined. That's what Jonah learned. That's what the Ninevites are going to learn. And my prayer is that we'll learn it too. So Jonah takes advantage of his second chance, doesn't he? You might... (laughs) Perhaps he wondered if he'd survive for a third one if he ran this time. Uh, Between an experience in the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of a violent storm and being swallowed by a fish, he takes advantage of his second chance. And he heads off to Nineveh. Funny thing about this is, his preaching to me seems rather less than enthusiastic. Or maybe enthusiastic, but in the wrong way. Have you ever heard a sermon quite like, especially an evangelistic sermon, right? He's going out, his job is basically to preach the gospel and plant a church in the middle of the worst city in the ancient world, with the most violent people in the ancient world, who did absolutely horrifying things to people. So Jonah goes, it's a big city, if you're going to make it all the way around, see all the parts, takes about three days, and he goes in to the city on day one, and he cries out, Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, overturned. You think, wow, Jonah, that's quite an altar call. (laughs) I can just feel, you know, feel the love, right? Feel the compassion just coming out all over the place. God wants to rescue them and you clearly are excited about that. No, I mean, he's, what a a horrible message. (laughs) It's like, forty days and then it's over. For you, it's over. And the Ninevites hear that. The good news is God can work through preaching that's poorly motivated. (laughs) 
the Holy Spirit has got a lot, a lot of resources, and uh, he can take very, very broken, messed up, poor preachers and do a lot of really spectacular things. So Jonah preaches, and the people of Nineveh hear it, and the Holy Spirit goes to work on their hearts, and they are humbled, and they repent, which is the last thing Jonah wanted to happen. Because you don't preach a sermon like that if you want people to repent. Nothing about God's love, nothing about God's compassion, just you dirty sinners, you better repent or you're going to get it. So he doesn't want to preach this, but he's going to do it. It's better than living in a fish or being tossed over this, into, the, into a storm at sea. He's not excited about this preaching expedition, but he is reconciled to it. And God goes to work. And again, though, the thing that we see all through this is God's compassion. His compassion to Jonah, the fact that he's there at all and not dead at the bottom of the sea. His compassion to the Ninevites when they respond when they humble themselves, and that's what happens. The people of Nineveh, verse 5, believed God, right? There's that faith. They trust God. They decided to fast. And everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Now you think, that's strange. <laughs> what's that all about? But what, what's happening here, this, we're going to fast. We're going to put on you know, clothing that gives a visible representation to the thing that's happening in our hearts. It's this kind of outward sign of an inward change. We're appealing to God for His mercy. We're confessing that we deserve nothing from Him. And they are showing humility, aren't they? Their hearts are changing and their lives are changing. And so the fast and the changing of their garments reflects sincere repentance, I think. I mean, that's what's going on here. They're throwing themselves on the mercies of God. Calling upon Him. Trusting His infinite compassion because if you're a Ninevite you need infinite compassion because your sins are so high they're off the charts and these guys we've talked about it the last couple weeks <laughs> imagine the worst people you can possibly imagine doing the worst things you can possibly imagine and these guys make them look like school children horrifying violent terrifying people if they're going to get rescued they need infinite grace and infinite compassion so that's what happens and then the word gets to the king and the king intensifies it he's like yeah you're fasting don't feed the animals either <laughs> the cows are going to fast just like everybody else Verse 6, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he removed his robes. So there's this kingly self-humbling. He covers himself with sackcloth and sits in ashes. And he proclaims, uh, has a proclamation made in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. No human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. Right? The people are going to feed. The, animal, every, I mean, the people are going to fast. Everybody's going to fast. They shall not feed nor drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways. Notice the confession. Talking about repentance. Talking about people who've been on the run from God. Now they're turning to God. And part of that is not only acts of humility, but confession. All shall turn from their evil ways. Catch that little word, turn. Because if you've been on the run, 
you want to get back to God, you got to turn around. Good news is there's never far to go. He always meets you there. And they don't have far to go. God is waiting for them to turn. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. Remember Jonah's sermon? Repent, or Nineveh will be overturned. Well, Nineveh was overturned, wasn't it? But not in the way Jonah hoped. Their hearts were turned over to God in that moment, weren't they? And again we see a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and a hundred chances, a thousand opportunities for some of the most wicked people in the history of the world. Infinite sinfulness. And God meets it with infinite compassion. Friends, I don't know about you, but I think we need a new vision of who God is. Because we don't spend enough time talking about God's compassion. Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, Jonah, or the Gospels, God shows up with a heart of abundant compassion for the worst people in the world time after time after time. I mean, read the Gospels. How many times did we read Jesus had compassion over them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so He instructed them. Jesus had compassion for the crowds because he was, they were hungry, so He takes a couple of pieces of bread and feeds thousands of people. Jesus has compassion for the sick, and so He touches them and heals their bodies. This word resounds over and over and over again as God reveals Himself in the man, Jesus Christ. As God, the Creator, reveals Himself in Jesus of Nazareth. The Word that shows up again and again and again is compassion, 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 compassion. Feel His touch. Hear His Word. Let Him speak words of comfort and grace to you. Compassion. He has compassion. And if the cross says anything, it says compassion, doesn't it? Here's the one. And remember in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't say, believe in me and God or God will judge you. He says, I'm the one who's been entrusted with judgment. <laughs> you know, at the end of everything or at the climax of history, Jesus says, I'll be the one doing the judging. <laughs> And then at the end of the Gospels, the one who is the judge of all allows his body to be broken for the life of the world. We forget sometimes that word compassion has suffering at the heart. Passion is just a Latin word that means to suffer. Did you know that? Passion is a Latin word that means to suffer. And that co at the beginning just means together. Compassion is about embracing people and sharing their sufferings. Whether they've just had their world decimated by storms, 
or whether they're human beings and you're God and they have resisted you and run from you and you show up and bleed for them. If the cross tells us anything about God, it tells us that He is compassionate because it shows us what it looks like when God shows up to suffer with us and for us so that we can have life. We need a new vision of God, brothers and sisters. And that vision needs to be characterized, it needs to be marked by this aspect of God's character that He cares more about showing compassion than anything. He's willing to look unjust in Jonah. right? Because how many people are going to say, the God of Israel doesn't care about justice if He's going to forgive the Ninevites. They ought to be on the bottom of the sea. They ought to be suffering in hell. Do you know what they do to people? Scoundrels. Scum of the earth. And God is willing to risk He's willing to risk His reputation for being just in order to show compassion to the scum of the earth. When Jesus goes to that cross, He does it to satisfy His own justice by allowing the consequences of our sin to fall on His shoulders. He suffers to satisfy His justice so that He can show compassion to us. We need a new vision of God, and our vision of God needs to be marked by His infinite compassion. He gives us second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, because He just, because it's an opportunity, another opportunity, to embody and manifest His compassion. In all of its infinite magnitude. And friends, that aspect of God's character is what drives our mission. That aspect of God's character drives the mission of the church. Because He has called us to be people who embody His character. People who embody His infinite compassion. And that happens on a lot of levels, doesn't it? It happens in our relationships, it happens in our marriages, it happens with our kids when it's a long day and we're tired and there's Legos on the floor and we're stepping on them and it hurts. And it's hard to be compassionate when that kind of stuff is happening, isn't it? But that's where, you know. But my kids are going to get their vision of God shaped by the way I act when I step on something in the dark and the way I speak to them in that moment. Will my character embody the character of God? Show compassion? Or will I reinforce those false visions of God as somebody who's waiting for you to mess up so they can fly off and hurt you? With words, physically, every moment. I'm teaching people what God looks like. whether it's family, whether it's colleagues, every moment.
And when we talk about church, talk about budgets, staffing, mission trips, the one central piece that drives all of that, God's infinite compassion. For, our neighbor, for us, for our neighbors, for the nations. So this year we're going to take two trips, and we do all kinds of things. You know, you'll have a chance to hear more about these things, but we do all kinds of things locally. The missions team is so active and does such a great job of making sure that different things are being attended to locally. This year we're expanding what we do outside of our zip code. Uh, we're adding a, a second trip. There's already a domestic mission trip scheduled to Louisiana. 20 or so people are signed up. I think they got a few spots left. Do you want to get involved in that? You're going to go care for people. And if you heard the team last year tell their stories, it was about caring for people. And you guys came back, heard their story, and said, hey, there's some needs. Let's have compassion and get those ladies in that shelter a computer so that they can find jobs more easily. That's compassion. Grateful to pastor a church that takes that kind of action. We're going to take some people to Guatemala and spend a week with kids who don't have a home outside of this orphanage and show them God's compassion. Somebody, well, I hope no one asked me this. I'll say it, now no one will. In the past, whenever I announce international trips, Almost invariably, someone comes along and says, we got a lot of people nearby who need help. Yes, we do. More today than yesterday. I want to be a both-and church, not an either-or. I want us to be local and global, not one or the other. Because I want you to have experiences where Jesus can reproduce his compassion in your life. That'll happen one way in this zip code. It'll happen a different way in a place where you don't speak the language and you're the minority. And there are things the Holy Spirit will do with you, do with you outside of this country that he will not do in, in these borders. <laughs> I speak from experience on that one, friends. <laughs> There are things that will not happen in our bubble. You've got you to get out. And the Lord will minister to you in ways you've never experienced. But it's both and, not either or. And it's both and, not either or, because God's grace and His compassion are infinite. God has compassion to Jonah, who lives in Jerusalem, and the Ninevites, who live 500 miles away. God is local and God is global. And if we're going to be his people, we will be too. We're going to find folks to touch with God's compassion. And imagine what it'll be like for folks who say, you mean you just spent thousands of dollars to come around the world and gave up a vacation week or you know, some savings, or you just gave up that time to come around the world to fix a bridge or a roof or to rock some babies, or to do a vacation Bible school. What kind of God do you serve? 
who has that kind of compassion. We're going to look for ways to embody God's infinite compassion. And that's going to drive our mission locally, globally, and wherever the Holy Spirit calls us to go. And we're going to take that new vision of God. The one where God is waiting with outstretched arms and hands marked by nail scars to extend His infinite compassion. That's how we change the world. You've got to experience God's compassion before you can extend it. So my prayer for each of us Whatever's happening in your heart where you need God to show up with infinite compassion, maybe take a moment and let the walls down. Because that's what happens when we've been hurt or when we've run. We build walls. Very hard for God's compassion to get through those walls if we kind of put the strength in them from the inside. And so just, I'm wondering this morning if we can say, Jesus and maybe you want to just close your eyes for a moment, moment and, and pray this. Jesus, I'm going to stop resisting your compassion. Because I need your compassion. And I've run and I've run and I've run and nobody else knows or everybody knows or whatever. <laughs> but the running's over. Won't you come? And fill my heart with your infinite compassion. And then, brothers and sisters, invite him to give you the grace to extend that infinite compassion to those around you, to your neighbors, and to the nations. Let's take a moment. And Maybe you just want to pray silently where you are. Invite the Lord Jesus to make His compassion new to you today. beauty and space in that silence that we so rarely find. We can hear the words of the Lord speak to us softly. Gently. Overflowing with grace. I'm so confident that there are people in the room who just need that touch of grace. Because, because I need it. <laughs> Won't you invite the Lord?
Lord Jesus, we are grateful. We're grateful that no matter how far we've run and how far we've gone and how many times we've turned away from you, that you constantly meet us with compassion. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And you're, you're, you're not like those people in our lives who are just waiting for us to trip up and fall so that they can bring the hammer down. You're not like that. And we are so grateful, Lord. Fill our minds and our hearts and our vision with your true character. Infinite compassion. And reproduce that in us so that we can be the kind of people who help others discover that. Jesus' name.